Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Jeffrey Groman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Caleb Fornari. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And we have, uh, or we're joined by our guest today, Matthew Helmke of uh, Grafana. He is a senior technical content developer. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Awesome. After so I looked I'm, it up. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, you know, Matthew, maybe we'll just start by letting you sort of introduce yourself, like what you do, your role at the company, and, and maybe even talk a little bit about the Grafana Cloud that I think you were mentioning to us before we got started on the podcast. And then we'll sort of take it from there. Certainly. That sounds good. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So I think I'll start with just Grafana itself. Grafana is an open source project and it's been around for quite a while. Basically, what it does is it takes time series data and creates visualizations. You can create dashboards, you can create multiple dashboards, multiple panels within a dashboard, all using time series metrics data. What has evolved over time is a company around that called Grafana Labs. Grafana Labs employs most but not all of the Grafana developers. It also employs many of the developers of an open source project called Prometheus, which especially if you're in the Kubernetes or cloud space, you've heard of as a time series database that is designed for that kind of large scale, wide distributed deployment. So Grafana Labs is just a few years old, about three, four years old now, five, sorry, and started out small as a way to figure out how can we monetize this so that we can pay people to develop this thing we love. Grafana and Prometheus and the other things that you can visualize using Grafana um, are all primarily developed by people in the DevOps or site reliability engineering world. And it's just kind of this how do I figure out what's going on in my system mentality that gathered everybody together? As time has gone on, Grafana Labs has grown and grown and grown and created new products and new ways to use this technology to help serve customers. So we have a, an enterprise version for those very large companies that want to do an on-site deployment and figure out how to gather metrics and logs and traces all internally. And then we have Grafana Cloud. Grafana Cloud is a fairly new product within the last uh, year, year and a half, somewhere in there, really becoming more public. And what it is, it's Grafana, the visualization tool hosted by us, along with a hosted uh, time series database underneath it that's Prometheus compatible. So you can send data from all of your various Prometheus instances into Grafana Cloud and have it all visualized in one location that you don't have to host as a SaaS product. So now you don't have to deal with all the hassle, right? But then we've added stuff. We've added the ability to aggregate logs and have all of your logs come into the same location. So now you can correlate between gathered metrics and logs. And most recently, we've added tracing. And with tracing, what that lets you do is follow the data path through your application 
to see where something has failed. Or if you have one of those alerts come up, you can see what else was happening around the same time, correlate it with logs from the same time. You can look at metrics from multiple locations in your system all around the same time, just before, figure out where things fell apart. What I do at Grafana Labs, I'm a part of the go-to-market organization. I deal with Grafana Cloud and specifically with a part of Grafana Cloud called self-service. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Self-serve is you sit down in front of your computer, you type in grafana.com, you find the cloud link, you say, oh, I want to have my metrics sent here and have it all taken care of. You can sign up for an account. We have a free account available. You can test it out, kick the tires, figure out if it's going to be something that's exciting for you. We have uh, small accounts available that are still self-serve. You just push a button, put in a credit card, and, uh, and you can have team members come in, small teams, and really test it out for a department in your company or the eight, 10 people that you work with most closely on a specific part of an application or a microservice, something like that. And uh, we found that that's uh, an incredible way to get going with observability. Really interesting. So let me let me ask the dumb question because I'm the uh, security guy in the in, in the room. I'm not the not necessarily an application person. I used to be once upon a time more of an infrastructure guy, way back in the early part of my career. But you know, so this whole idea like visualization, I think it's really interesting and in time series data. But but let me just maybe take a couple steps back and say, okay, let's say I'm I'm on a team, um, whether on the development side, on the infrastructure side, and we don't, you know, we're not really doing a lot, right? We're not, we don't have a lot of data points right now that we can look to from a, I guess, from a performance standpoint, because I think that's that's where this sort of all heads towards. What, if I don't know at this point, like we haven't been doing this, I don't know where the, where issues might be coming from, because at this point we're blind, right? We don't have the, the visualization. Where do I start? Like, do I start by thinking about it from trying to pull data at or, or try to get metrics from my databases? Am I doing it from, because you talked about tracing, traceability, I'm thinking about that in code. Am I thinking about it more from the infrastructure side? Am I, like, let's say we're running it in Kubernetes, am I thinking about it from the container side? Is it all of the above? Like, what? where do I even, like, where would I even start? That is a fantastic question. I would start with the thing you think you understand, just to get your feet wet and to understand the atmosphere, the system, the idea of how everything works. So for example, I'll just pull Grafana Cloud again. With Grafana Cloud, we have a set of what we're calling today integrations. And it's what you think of with an integration. We have an agent that you can deploy in your infrastructure, and it will gather metrics and send them to Grafana Cloud for you with very little, with very little work on your end to make that happen. So I'm going to go way back since you did and talk about when I was an infrastructure guy. Linux started out where, uh, actually, I go a little further back than that. Unix got a big mainframe, got a VAX, got a whatever. And everything is contained in this one physical machine, as well as in one giant program. We didn't call them applications then. So everything's happening in a self-contained environment. And so the way to figure out when there were problems or what those problems were is you just gathered metrics. I don't even remember calling them metrics at the time. We probably called them something, but I don't remember what. We'd say, oh, just run top and see what's going on, see what's spiking. Or we'd have these tools and we'd try and figure out, what am I monitoring? Well, I'm monitoring my CPU and whether its usage is spiking. I'm monitoring my throughput. I'm monitoring how much is coming in, how much is going out. I'm monitoring utilization. I'm monitoring errors. I'm maybe reading the logs using tail or something like that. When there's a problem, it was pretty simple to figure out where the problem was because it's all self-contained. Well, let's bring that as an analogy to today. What is something that is that encapsulated that we understand? Well, maybe maybe today we start with just a Linux node. We have this node in the cloud and it's hosting something. But let's not even think about what it's hosting yet. Let's start with the Linux node. We have a Linux node integration. So you sign up for Grafana Cloud, you pull it up, 
as you're starting your first entry into Grafana Cloud, it gives you this, this opportunity to install an integration. You push a button, then you go install our agent on your Linux node. And a couple minutes, a couple seconds later, you start getting these beautiful dashboards that we've created already for you to use by default with that integration. So you can see something. And because it's a Linux node, you probably already understand that. That's something that we've been using for 20 years. So it gives you a foothold into now, I see these things and I want this panel to show something different. How do I do that? And you're not worried about how do I get data into this system? How do I get metrics into the system? You're thinking about how do I customize this for my use case? Play with that for a little while, do some customizations, maybe figure out, I don't want this metric at all. So you figure out how to drop it. You figure out how to send other ones. You do some stuff like that that you like. And then you think, oh, I'm running a database. Mongo, MySQL, whatever it is. I want some database metrics. I want metrics on how well this database is functioning. I want metrics on throughput. I want to figure out if there are bottlenecks. I want to figure out if things are piling up. I want to figure out why things might be slow and what the utilization is of whatever that database is installed on. That might be a really good second step. Or maybe you want to monitor monitor the front end of a certain app. You can do that. You can find one of our, our integrations that help you monitor one of those. I would start simple and start small. And then as you learn a little bit, just add more, add more. And it won't take long before you think, I know what logs are. I've been using logs forever. And why do I want to sit here when I'm looking in my web browser at all of these interesting metrics being gathered from my Linux node? Why do I want to open then an additional window, open a terminal, an SSH into that node just to read a log. I don't want to do that. So what if I configure things so that those logs are sent into the same database? I have a panel, for example, that monitors a Linux node I have as a test base. And it gives me all of my Linux metrics above and below. But in the middle, I have all of my syslog stuff, which is an aggregation of multiple logs in that var syslog, var logs syslog directory, I believe. Now I got to think about it because I aggregated in one place and now I don't remember because I don't do it every day. And that's one of the beautiful things that I think we enable. You don't have to remember all that stuff anymore. So that's where I'd start. And that's really, I think, answering your question the very long way. No, I, I think that that's really helpful because I, I, I think too often, you know, we start talking, we, we go down the path of technology of like something that's relatively new that might be something that folks haven't used before. And pretty soon we're like two or three or four steps ahead. And if you're not quite there with us, you're like scratching your head saying, wait a second, what is this again? And <laughs> what are we talking about? So I, I just feel like it's a good idea to sort of take a couple steps back and just say, okay, how do we start out this? What, what does this mean? How would I use this? And you know, how people sort of visualize where we are. Yeah, well, and it takes me back to the days where we talked about early optimization, right? Get it working, start measuring it, figure out what to optimize, and then think about optimizing. Right. And it's the same pattern, just applied differently. I like what you said earlier around kind of getting started and how you can kind of put everything in there with these custom or, or I guess, pre-made integrations, not really custom. And then really look at like what answers you're trying to get or what questions you're trying to answer and uh, use that data to kind of answer those questions and really get some value out of things right away. Because I often see sort of monitoring and visualization, observability, alerting overlooked in a lot of DevOps models. Often people are just building things out and not really thinking about how to maintain it, observe it, monitor it those kind of things. In your experience, I guess I've got a question around kind of what to ingest initially. So sounds like you're kind of advocating, basically try to put your data, put everything in the system, and then look at what kind of questions that brings up as you start to explore the data and see how you can get those answers from the data. That's a little bit different than maybe the traditional model in some cases where 
data ingestion was expensive back in the day, and you'd kind of try to really slim down and optimize what you're sending to your monitoring and alerting systems, and really just put in the key metrics and uh, really sort of run analysis on those key metrics to keep costs down. What I've seen more recently, as in like the last, say, five to 10 years, particularly the last four or five years, probably with cloud storage becoming a thing and database costs coming down a lot, is people tend to send a lot more data there. Not all of it gets used, but the value you get out of those sort of unforeseen connections between disparate pieces of data or infrastructure has great value and far overshadows the cost of storage and ingestion of the data. Is that does that hold true in the case of Grafana and in your guys' model? Is that something you've seen? Or how do you kind of think about ingestion and costs and, and those types of things and balancing all of that? I'm going to say yes and. So absolutely, yes, as many metrics as you can gather, as much data as you can gather, you're probably going to find more useful insights than if you severely limit. There is a balance in there somewhere because we still do have costs related to how much we gather. And it depends really on the size of your infrastructure, right? If you are a small shop and let's say you've just moved to the cloud and you have a couple front-end services that are running out in the cloud with a load balancer and maybe some sort of automation to spin up a third one if you ever need it, but you're pretty sure you won't because you don't have that much traffic. And then you're running a couple databases and you're maybe running a couple other things on the side, but max maybe, I don't know, 10 Kubernetes nodes, you're going to generate a lot of data, but it's nothing compared to the larger enterprise company that has 10,000 nodes that just realizes this is a fire hose. And if I ingest all of this, I will drown. So somewhere in there is where we find the answer. And as much as we hate this as the answer, the truth is it depends on the implementation. It depends on the details of who's sending and what they need. And that's where a lot of conversations are useful. But to start the sign up, the self-serve idea, the doing it in a, in a cloud SaaS product with Grafana Cloud, I would send what you have. And start to look at, okay, is this going to cost me too much? Because we will tell you how much you're sending. And we will tell you if you're going to go over, say, the free limit, for example, or the limit for whatever tier you've paid for. And we won't charge you right away if you have spikes. So you have this spike and it goes, ah, this is too much. And you feel like you're drowning even though you're sending from 10 Kubernetes nodes. Okay, well, you have time to pare that down. We'll help you figure out what to pare down. We even have documentation on how to figure out what to pare down if you want to and control your costs. Because a small shop, their observability budget is slim. That's why a lot of shops, the DevOps guys say, well, there's no way we're going to get the money to run vendor X. So what I'm going to do is create my own system and try and roll my own. And I'm going to grab the open source stuff that I can and I'm going to try and make it all work together. And some of it does. For example, you grab Prometheus or you grab something that we don't own like Influx and you pair that up with the open source version of Grafana and you host it all yourself. You can get it all working and you can get some beautiful information and visualizations out of that. I don't know that you've reached observability yet. What you've reached is a beautiful way to understand your metrics to understand your monitoring. Monitoring and metrics gathering only tell you where you are in a field of something you expect. So I expect my CPU usage to be around here. And if it spikes up here, I know that's bad. Observability gives you... Um, I would say observability refers to the idea of being able to infer the state of a system and its internal states and behavior just by looking at inputs and outputs. It's more, it's more about the questions we, the more questions we can ask and answer about a system, the more observable it is. And that does depend a lot on 
Did I design it to be observable? Have I put in proper endpoints in my application? We don't start there. You don't start your observability journey with full observability. You start by taking a step and that step is metrics gathering. That step is learning what is important in your logs and how to find that without having to log in and search your logs and figure out, okay, when did this happen in the log? And now I have to go back over here and look at this uh, metrics thing and try and figure out when something happened over there and see if I can correlate them in my head while I'm looking at 18 panes because it requires that many panes of glass in front of me to get all of my tools displaying stuff to me. Um, our goal is to minimize the panes of glass that you need by helping you correlate elegantly data that happens in your metrics and putting it in a time series database where it has a stamp, a timestamp, discrete, obvious, clear, and correlate it with logs that are also timestamped. And we'll figure out, help you figure out how to correlate those. So if there's an event, you can see in your logs very quickly what happened. And then help you learn how to implement uh, tracing so that you can see ultimately I had an event start here with a customer who did an input here into this service that sent something down to this service that sent something over here to this service and it came back down here and it went over here and it went all and then all of a sudden you get the jumbled mess that none of us can hold in our heads because now that we've done microservices and we've done cloud deployments and everything's constantly changing because we've figured out our mitigation schemes well so that when traffic increases and load increases, stuff is spinning up. And when load decreases, stuff is being taken down. We don't know how many nodes or how many instances of what we have. We could probably get a snapshot at an instant. But by the time we read the snapshot, it's changed. What observability does is help us figure out where those things are and tie it to events that happened just preceding and where those events occurred in which parts of the infrastructure. And that is a beautiful thing that we are missing that we didn't need back in that mainframe era, that we didn't need back when we had a corporate-owned data center and all the machines were in one building. And we were just starting with a service-oriented architecture that really was nothing like what we're doing today when SOA was the big buzzword back in the, what was that, the early mid-2000s, 2005. Long answer to a short question again. I tend to do that. No, that's fantastic. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. What, what sort of strikes me with that answer, what I was kind of thinking about as you were mentioning all those sort of aspects of the I don't know what you'd call it, the visualization, monitoring, alerting sort of set of issues. Traditionally, in DevOps, we had different tools for different parts of those, yeah. those different parts of the stack, so to speak. So like logs would go somewhere and you had your visualization tool somewhere that would connect to different data sources and your data might have been going to a few different places and you had a separate monitoring alerting system that maybe watched some of that, right? right? Where does Grafana fall on that scale? And maybe maybe it kind of covers all of the above. I don't know. Where, but where does it fall on that scale? And what is it really good at? What are the core strengths? And if there are other pieces missing, what are those and how do those kind of fit in? So at the moment, what, and I'm going to speak again about Grafana Cloud, and it will apply to our Grafana Enterprise version as well. So this is separate from just the, discrete piece that is the open source Grafana application by itself. When I say Grafana Cloud, I'm including the logs gathering. I'm including the traces. I'm including several other things. So what Grafana Cloud is really good at is one, visualization. I think Grafana itself is the best visualization tool that exists right now, whether you're talking about the open source version that we make no money on, or Grafana Cloud, the hosted version, the enterprise stuff that we do make money on. I think it's the best. And here's why. You can have myriad data sources. You can take your 
data coming in from Prometheus, coming in from Influx, coming in from other time series databases, coming from everywhere. And we will help you display all of it. And if you want to, all in one dashboard. We like to say, I forget the appropriate way I'm supposed to say it, but we like to say that we have a big tent, a big tent policy where everyone is welcome. If you have data that somebody in DevOps, somebody in site reliability engineering wants to visualize, we'll help make that happen and do so well. So that I think we are best in class at. What we are good at is gathering logs and helping you parse those logs and figure stuff out. In fact, the way we store the log data is so elegant in that it doesn't require an index. It doesn't require massive amounts of database slow down turtle type stuff, right? You go to most log gathering apps and you do a search and it takes forever. What we do is everything comes in with that timestamp and we'll help you know what you're looking for based on the tags. So everything that comes in can be tagged if you set it that way. And so that requires a little work and thought up front, but it saves you a ton of time when that pager goes off. And then we have just added traces. It's just about to come out of beta. We have several very large customers using it and being very excited about it. We are the first open source solution to bring all of those three things together. And really, it's metrics, logs, and traces that provide what are called the pillars of observability. Grafana Cloud now and Grafana Enterprise give you that opportunity to have all the pillars of observability functioning from the same vendor, visualizable, is that a word, in the same pane of glass speaking the same language. And we have alerting in there too. What we're missing is a good incident response management tool. Will that happen? Boy, I sure hope so. I think that would be a fantastic addition to our suite of really pleasant SRE DevOps tools. Uh, what, what I really appreciate, and I, I've been around before Grafana Labs, I appreciate being able to sit down and not have to jump between apps. And I do remember the days, and I think both of you do too, where you walked into a part of the building and there were 18, 10, 6, whatever, but multiple monitors in a giant array, each one displaying one or two different things or maybe cycling between a number of dashboards and somebody sitting there trying to take it all in, drinking from the fire hose of information and their brain hurt. And yet they were the ones responsible for causing the alerting. And then we, we, started, we started making a lot of that alerting happen automatically, but we're still shifting from app to app to app. And I love the, let's bring it all together. Even if you're using Datadog, even if you're using New Relic, even if you're using Splunk, we have nothing bad to say about any of our competitors. What we want to do is we want to delight developers and we want to delight infrastructure people. We want to delight SRE and DevOps folks. That's the goal. As one of the guys that used to watch all the monitors on the wall and try to make sense of it all, thanks for doing, uh, thanks for doing what you guys do. It definitely makes our lives uh, easier. Something you alluded to there that I think would be interesting to dig into a little bit more is the uh, app tracing. You mentioned yeah. you guys do traces now. That's I've used uh, Grafana Prometheus quite a bit in the past. That's something I hadn't seen before. Can you can you maybe talk a little bit more about that if, if that's something that's built in or something that's with the enterprise version or it's something you can just integrate with? Uh, what does that actually look like? So if you are in the open source world and you're looking to download and do all this yourself and roll it yourself, in the Grafana, what's the word I'm looking for? Among all of our stuff, we have a, an app called Tempo that's totally open source. And that is our tracing app. You can go and you can figure out how to integrate that with Loki, which is our log gathering app, totally open source. And Grafana, which is the visualization app, totally open source. You can figure out how to host it, how to do all that, integrate it with Prometheus, as you mentioned. 
if you are using Grafana Enterprise as a large customer or Grafana Cloud, either as a self-serve customer or getting some help from us uh, doing it as a paid customer, those things are all rolled in together. So from the moment you sign up, you have access to log gathering. You have access to tracing. Now, they will require some configuration on your end. As you know, traces don't just appear, right? You have to figure out how in your application and in your infrastructure, when you're sending time series metric data to tag it. We tell you how to do that, but you have to actually do the work. So in order to get traces working, first of all, with your infrastructure, then what you have to do is have everything that you send, every metric that you send tagged. A lot of people, for example, uh, might tag it by Kubernetes node or by, by microservice, something like that. So you'll get the name of the node, the name of the service, and a timestamp as well as the metric. And they're all just in one discrete entry. Boom. And then when logs come in, you'll have those logs tagged based on the same sorts of things. So then later you can go back and you can search by tag and you can find all of the logs from node X and correlate those with all of the metrics gathered from node X and look at those in a time series and figure out what's going on when and how they match. And then for tracing, if you're tagging events in your application, then those can be sent as well. And suddenly you have the ability to tag things and have it marked as it goes through those discrete parts of your architecture, the microservices or the larger services, the various nodes, and you can follow data as it flows through your system. And it's all available in Grafana Cloud as a free user and also as a paid user for, for larger things. If you're doing it as a free user, you're probably either a small team, six people doing some testing, or, or you're a hobbyist who set up a a Raspberry Pi to monitor whether your plant is getting enough water and sunshine. Those are fantastic ways to figure out, hey, is this even useful to me? Uh, is this useful to us? But if you're doing something a little bigger, you're going to pay for it, but it's worth paying for because you'll look at it and you'll go, oh, wow, this is going to save me so much time. This is going to save me so much money. I want to do, do it this way. Sorry, I got sales pitchy there for a minute, but I'm actually kind of excited about this stuff because like you, Caleb, I remember the old days and it was hard and it was not fun. <laughs> and it, I don't know that it's particularly simple now, but it's a whole lot easier. And, and the fun part is when you set something up that's complicated and it works for you and it gives you what you want. And maybe that's why all of us are in IT. You get that kind of God mode when the computer responds to your will. Everyone's laughing. I can see your faces, but um, no one can hear the laughter on the, uh, yeah, on the podcast. That's right. That's right. We're all just sort of <laughs> smiling and thinking, yep, yep, there's truth to that. We've all been there. So I'm curious about the um, incident response management that you were you know, mentioning, and certainly from my security background. And I, I think we're probably talking about you know, maybe slightly different incidents, but I think the practice is similar between security and anything about incident management from a yeah. you know, reliability or resilient standpoint within an application or within an ecosystem, right? You know, and I and I see a lot of clients that I work with that are using a lot of Splunk um, or Elasticsearch or I mean there's so many others out there, like log aggregation types of systems. And what you said was really point on, which is that you really have to, especially for the enterprise, you can be gathering so much logging. And again, from the security side, just to be clear to you know the audience, I think about the uh, just the you know sort of raw amount of logging that like let's say you have a Microsoft infrastructure of like Windows desktops and servers and stuff like that, laptops, whatever it is, you just get an enormous amount of logging that you try to do a search and you just yeah you know, there's different types of searches but some of them are like go get a cup of coffee type of a search, right? Yeah, you don't Go have a conversation overnight. while you're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm really curious to hear like because I, I feel like you know, even though this is something that you know, this this is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination, right. yet it's just something that hasn't really been solved all that well. And I'm really curious to hear about how how you guys are thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. So 
I'm just going to throw my thoughts out there and I'm not going to speak for the company for a minute. When there's an incident, whether it's an intrusion incident or whether it's a microservice falling down and suddenly my whole infrastructure is screaming at me with alerts all over the place and time is of the essence. I need to figure out what's broken or what the problem is, uh, where the hole is, close it up, fix it, whatever needs to happen as quickly as possible. If I'm looking at metrics, hopefully, you know, they've been gathered in, in close to real time. It can't be real time because the system's over there and I'm visualizing it here, but it can be pretty quick. That's great. Logs do take a while sometimes, not so much for the gathering and storing, but for the, I need to find something specific in this haystack. I need to find the needle. In the beginning, we would just throw everything in the database and then run our searches. And oh my God, did we hate that, right? And then somebody had the idea, let's create indexes. Let's create better indexes. Let's index our indexes. No, <laughs> there comes a point where, where you just decide it's too much. It's getting a little insane. So our current idea is let's tag the logs based on where they come from, timestamps, things like that. And let's make that searchable. And let's make that able to be correlated. And then we'll pull the specific info from the tag. And we are finding that is multiple degrees more efficient. Fantastic. We're excited about that. What I think would be amazing if we could add it would be something that after we figured out, okay, the alerting's gone out and now we know we need to find stuff and we're sitting on Slack and we're sending each other messages and we're trying to find out, hey, where's Barney? I just picked Barney because Barney and Fred, I don't know. If you're not old enough to remember the Flintstones, that was a, uh, an Xer and older reference. All of this time is passing. Well, instead of solving the problem, I'm gathering my people and I'm gathering my resources together. And I would love to see us have something where the alert goes out and it triggers an organization because I've set it up for these are the people that are scheduled to be on call or this is the on-call rotation and I don't even have to think about it because it just automatically knows. And these are the people that should be notified no matter what. And these are the people that should be notified based on the time of day or the day of the week or the month of the year, whatever we're, we're doing. And this is where they're going to gather in here. It's automatically created if it's a Slack room or or this is the Zoom location where we're going to have the meeting, or whatever it is, I don't have to think about all those details. I don't have to go find my run book and read it and start typing because we know we're not going to remember all the commands, right? But let's save the run book for the other stuff, for fixing the things that we know how to fix when they break and use our brains there and not use our brains with the repetitive tasks of setting up our incidents response. Here's the incident. Here's the response. Here's how I want it to go. I want to automate all of that. So I'm speaking as Matthew. I'm not speaking as Grafana Labs. I'm just thinking that would really help complete the suite and give me even greater delight. <laughs> Fantastic. Perhaps this is a good time to jump into another question that I had just around trends in observability and DevOps and kind of what yeah. you see as the future. Because as you're well aware, I'm sure DevOps just changes at an insane pace these days. There's new tools coming out every day. There's new things to keep up with. But going back to like maybe a little bit more of a macro level, what should DevOps professionals be thinking about, learning about, and focusing on in order to kind of stay ahead of the curve over the next few years? I'm going to start with a little bit of a shocker. Figure out the business reason for why you're doing what you're doing. And do it from a customer perspective not your use case internally. Don't only, don't limit yourself to thinking about how an app should work or how you think information should flow through your system. Think about a user sits down at their keyboard and they want to do something that we are experts at. What's their first thought? And how do I get them from, here's my thought to on the screen is what they want. If we can get DevOps to move that way, instead of what's the most elegant way for this computer system to work internally, I think we will please a lot more people. 
and we'll end up making more money because people will flock to our applications. So that's number one. Number two... Wait, we uh, got to stop there because that was amazing, by the way. If we can get technology, I'm going to broaden it out. We get technology people to think about, yeah, what's what's the business use case and who are your customers and how do they think? And yeah, yes, I love that. Yeah, it's easy to figure out how a computer thinks or how a computer wants things. We we like to pretend it's not. It's complicated, but it's not difficult, right? It's just like learning another language. I've learned other human languages. I've spoken to people. I've sat in people's living rooms in North Africa and had a conversation in their native language. And it just took me spending the time and effort to figure out how they speak, right? So figuring out how a computer wants me to organize my thoughts and present them to the computer and how I can expect it to respond, that's the easy part. The hard part is, what does the person sitting in front of that screen want? (sighs) <sighs> yeah, I, I feel yeah. like that's a really natural sort of extension of the original DevOps paradigm, which was like dev and ops working together and breaking down yeah. those silos. I think in any organization, when you reach a certain level of maturity in DevOps, where developers and ops are really well integrated and communicating, and you've, you've sort of broken down the silos between the two, the next logical step is, hey, let's let's do the same thing for business, for all the other parts of the company, let's see how we can communicate better with them and really serve the company's needs better rather than just focusing sort of on our narrow field of expertise. How do we really integrate that properly and communicate within the whole company better? And you can really make the entire company more efficient by doing that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's a good place to start, right? Because the audience is not going to walk away if you do it wrong the first time. We're all yeah. still working here, at least most most of them won't walk away the first time. Really, if, if you are improving things internally in the company, step by step, everyone starts to notice and go, oh, I don't, I don't hate using this app the way I used to. Even if it's just a business app, fintech or something, internally tracking business expenditures. I don't hate entering my expenses every month the way I used to. I don't hate correlating everyone's expenses and figuring out how that fits by a business unit anymore. Wow, this all seems much more natural. Okay, now let's figure out how do I take that learning and those processes and expand that to apply to our end user customers. We've done internal, let's do external. I think that's going to be a huge one. And, you know, one of the things DevOps promised was we were going to completely break down walls. And I think we've discovered we don't want to completely break down every one into, I have to do each of these things that must be done. I have to understand everything. We need people who collaborate in teams, but have specialties within the team. And ideally, what I'd like to see are teams of, say, I don't know, eight to 10, where you have at least two people that know how to do every single thing that must be done by this team. At least a couple people who can deploy. At least a couple people who can manage the CICD pipeline. At least a couple people who really understand the language that this thing is written in and can do quick bug fixes or can do major feature enhancements or additions. At least a couple of people who understand how the communications infrastructure within the company works and can speak cross-team effectively. I, I want the redundancy so that I can take a vacation. So that, God forbid, Sarah gets hit by a bus. The company doesn't fall down for it, even while we're all falling down inside in tears because, you know, Sarah, we loved her. I would like to see us in DevOps and in site reliability engineering start to have a, a more holistic high-level view, each of us, while at the same time recognizing, man, Caleb is great with metadata. I'd love to set him loose on figuring out all of our business strategy based on what is working well and what's not, what customers are using, what they're not using, and gathering all of the telemetry and all of the metrics and helping us understand where things are bad and focus our efforts on fixes. Maybe help us as an efficiency expert by showing us where our app falls down 
We're measuring it up front. So now let's go talk to the people who are responsible for each of the pieces. And then what I'd really love is for everyone in DevOps to just chill out. Don't, don't feel intimidated when someone asks you a question. Don't get angry when somebody says, hey, I'm not sure this is working. Learn how to speak to your coworkers in a way where they don't get frustrated with you. Hey, Jeffrey, we're having a slowdown in this module that you designed and that you're responsible for and that you deployed. Can, can you take a look at this data with me and let's see if we can find a solution together? Yeah, let's all collaborate. I think we, we own things a little too tightly, assuming that our identity is tied up in this thing we've created and it, we need to decouple in order to enhance our collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are, those are great ideas. I mean, just probably truths that <laughs> we can all identify with. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I've seen, I've kind of seen it all in various consulting roles and, you know, things like that in the past, but ultimately it really all comes down to communication, collaboration. Something that I, I like to tell uh, particularly people starting out in DevOps is like the, the entire company is your customer. Yeah. Meaning like particularly developers, but really that can be expanded to the whole company. Like you're, you're here to help them do things more efficiently to help them, you know, accomplish tasks that they didn't think they could do before they were doing manually before do it faster and better. Right. And that's, that's really, I think the mindset that you have to go into DevOps with is, is developers are my customer, the company, everybody in the company really is, is my customer and treat them like that. Right. Really have the attitude that I'm here to help them. You know, do these things. And uh, if you do that, I think you can't really go wrong. Agreed. Yeah. So I'm looking at the clock and I know we're, we're running up close to time and I want to make sure hey. that I talk about something. So I'm going to, I'm going to segue us and I hope that's okay, Jeffrey. Oh, no, that's awesome. I, I was about to do the same thing, but I'm glad you're jumping in. Yeah. Let's <laughs> let segue into picks and absolutely. Matthew, you take it away. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so, hey folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Something that we are doing as Grafana Labs is we have conference and pandemic, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's online. So it's called Grafana Conline because Grafana Con online, somebody decided <laughs> to portmanteau. It's memorable, right? Grafana Conline 2021. It's happening June 7 through 17. Matthew, 10 days, what? Uh, it's just a couple hours each day. And the reason it's a couple hours is we chose times for each of the sessions, each of the days that overlap between all of the European EMEA time zones and the Americas time zone. So GrafanaCon, GrafanaCon Line 2021, if you go to grafana.com, you'll see a nice banner for it, easy click, and uh, you can learn all about it. I actually didn't have any picks today. I, I uh, totally forgot to prepare anything. Um, you have any picks, Jeffrey, that you wanted to share? I so I had to grab, you know, I'm the security guy. So I, I have to talk about the, um, you know, and I think this is going to play probably next week or two. So the Colonial Pipeline, I don't know if you guys have, um, you know, it's like a name that no one had ever heard of, at least probably a few people did. But all of a sudden, you know, it was in the press in the last couple of weeks. So the pipeline that sort of stretches between like the eastern seaboard and scoops its way all the way across to Texas um, got hit by ransomware. And the whole thing is, to me, um, just so interesting in that you know, ransomware typically strikes against you know people's laptops, regular servers, basically the IT space. And so a lot of people in technology are sort of scratching their heads, 
saying, you know, if you're not in technology at all, you might say, oh, ransomware, okay, it took down yet something else. And you just sort of take it for granted that that could happen. But for those of us in the technology space, you sort of shook your, you probably scratched your head a little bit and said, I don't understand. How would that take down this physical pipeline? Like, how, how does it how does it jump across that, that gap? Um, and it's really a fascinating thing where we're seeing technology, you know, sort of long story short, right, is that technology is really embedding itself more in what we call the operational technology side. And so the IT side, it's the operational technology side, where if you think about like a pipeline and you're trying to measure things like, you know, what is the pressure? What is the, you know, what about leaks? What about what's going through that pipeline? What is the source? You know, what's, you know, still remaining in like, let's say this big vat, um, what's going through it. All that stuff is now being measured um, instead of being done manually or through, let's say, RS-232 connections, and right. right, going all the way back, you know, serial connections and that sort of thing, which is what it used to be. Now it's all going through, you know, applications and um, a software, you know, hardware, software, you know, interface, um, all this stuff, and it gets tied into IT systems. And now um, the entire management of it for, you know, how do I deal with anything that's environmentally going wrong? How do I make sure that we're pricing things correctly and you know, getting what we need and paying for on the on the payable side and then and receiving on the receivable side? Like all of that is now being managed through software, and yeah. that's where the ransomware can hit. And basically, even though it may not take down physically take down your pipeline, you can't manage it. You can't manage your business, and if you can't manage your business. They ended up having to shut it down because they had no way of managing their their business at the end of the, at the at the end of the day. Um, and I saw a quote today um, from the CEO saying that they chose to pay the ransomware because they just they didn't know um, how long it was really going to take, and they didn't know how long it would really you know like how far in did the did the compromise go? Like how many systems were truly affected? And I think they made a decision early on that just pay the ransom and try to get everything back up and running for their customers. But clearly a lot of people were affected by this. So um, it's just, you know, I think from the, you know, everything else aside, just from the technology standpoint of how interconnected things are, you know, between the physical world and software and IT and how we manage our business, it's just really integrated. And, and it doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us, but um, that sometimes can be the flip side of, of all of that, I guess. So it, it can be a little unnerving yeah. uh, when you start to think about, yeah. uh, wow, you know, my next door neighbor has a refrigerator that is connected to the internet. Uh, that's kind of the ridiculous extreme right. example, right? Um, my doorbell is connected to the internet because it has a camera. Yeah. Uh, suddenly it's the world's largest police botnet to, to observe streets. Um, that was a, a news item that I read yesterday. Right. Right. Um, right. But when you think about the operations side, now we have some large customers in Grafana Labs that are using Grafana to visualize telemetry data and metrics data that come in from their IoT devices all across. Right. Um, I'll, I'll use Pipeline as an example, but they they were not one of our customers. Right. Um, so. Let's say you have all of these valves, individual valves going across different parts of the pipeline and you want to shift. I have flow going here and now I want to shift some to that part because it needs more and we're kind of full, filling up here. We're at a good spot. Um, you can do that from a control center. You don't have to send somebody driving out. That is fantastically convenient. Right. But how do you control it from a control center? It's not an electric button that is driving an electric thing it is an electronic switch in software that sends a signal that somebody else could interrupt right if our security model is not thought through perfectly and no security models are thought through perfectly that's how these things happen it's not that somebody necessarily messed up it's that we, every time we add complexity, we also inherently add some risk. Yep. Now, unfortunately, we don't always think about the risk that we're adding. 
And that's where people like us make some good money because um, people add risk and then stuff breaks and they need consultants. They need people to help them. And then on the other end, they want people to help them visualize, gain observability, figure out where this stuff is going to happen in advance, trigger stuff to, uh, to make their mitigation schemes operate before problems happen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we also have the human factor. Do we know that this was an external computer attack vector? Or was it somebody who gained access because they met somebody and convinced them they were an employee and they got information that allowed them to access? We don't know. And we probably are not going to get, um, you know, the the information on that. It's oftentimes hard to know. So, I mean, phishing is still probably one of the most, you know, uh, common ways for the initial, what we call the initial attack vector. Phishing is still... But there's a lot of times when <clears throat> systems get exposed to the internet that probably shouldn't have been that inadvertently right. get exposed, something that was vulnerable um, gets exposed to the internet, and and that becomes probably a you know sort of a second you know um, a second channel that is pretty common as well. Um, but yeah, and you know, and and I think you're absolutely right. I think you know part of the, the challenge that we have is that the more that we um, take advantage of using software and using systems to manage what we used to have to do in more of the physical space or manual process or whatever, we need to spend, we as companies, right? We as enterprises need to be thinking about, I need to invest money and time and people into coming up with, I mean, plans for what do I do when something, you know, bad happens, right? So, you know, in the case of the pipeline, they were doing that anyway, because what happens when an environmental situation happens, uh, yeah. you know, a tornado, a hurricane, a mudslide, you know, all those things, they have contingency plans for dealing with. But this wasn't like that. And unfortunately, they didn't really have and many companies, you know, not trying to point the blame. It's just that many companies sort of moved that down that path of, hey, let's try and automate more. Let's try to use technology. Um, but the flip side is then there has to be a lot more resilience built into that too, or planning for what happens if these systems go offline, these systems are disrupted, then what? How do we recover quickly? Do we have all the configurations that we need? Do we have, maybe we've got like, you know, hey, how, how it was originally put in place 10 years ago, but we've customized it 30 times since then, right? And we don't have all of those custom configurations, data sources, everything else sort of backed up to where I can restore it very quickly. Right. Um, and even if we do, how many systems do I have to roll that back up out yeah. to? Yes. How long is that going to take? Yeah. Right. Right. So this is huge. I mean, these are, but when we see these big ransomware attacks, I mean, that's what, that's what you're looking at. Um, and unless you're really ready to do that, um, it's going to be, it, it's just going to be more costly. It's going to be more disruptive. Um, and, and it's just going to be a bigger headache to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I guess, unfortunately, ransomware is lucrative. It's not going to go, you know, it's not going anywhere. So, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry to end on such a bit of a dour note, but it's, you know, as you said, it does keep all of us employed. It keeps us all thinking about things and trying to solve more problems, which is what we can do, because these problems are solvable if we put the right resources into them. Well, and it makes me wonder, was there something they could have observed? Was Mm -hmm. there something that might have given them an inkling really early on? So I don't know because really I don't know question. I don't even know what I'd measure, but right. maybe if I had you know if they had full observability uh, set up with metrics logs and traces all across, and could you I don't know, um, then maybe something would have been odd enough, right, to make you say, "Huh, I'm going to investigate this," even though I have no clue now, what that little blip. You're absolutely is. right. We we talk about that a lot as like you know detections. Where where are you? You know, where are your detections? Are you able to, and and are you looking for the right things to detect on? Are you looking for, you know, sort of anomalous behavior of, you know, an odd set of credentials that don't 
typically log into that system that all of a sudden are? Or is it a brand new set of credentials that were just created and now they're logging in and have elevated privileges? And right, there's there's all these things that we try to look for, but um, it gets complex. And then when you're trying to talk about doing that, not just in the IT world, but in the OT space, that's where I think um, companies at this struggle a little bit more because now you're talking about trying to bridge, you know, across different people, different, sometimes different silos, um, different technologies, and it does get, it does get complex. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, analogous to what we're trying to do with observability is um, you notice a little blip over here on this node and you think that's odd and you go look at the node and everything seems okay. So you go back to what preceded that. And you find something four steps before that's operating weird. And it's not really this node. This node's doing what it's supposed to. It's just getting stuff it's not supposed to be receiving. But it was way over here that the problem was. You would never know to look here if it wasn't tied in some way. And that's what the trace does. I don't know what the uh, what the observability analog to that would be. But I'd love to explore that because now I'm intrigued. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. We could probably do a whole, you know, another session yeah. just on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, cool. I think, you know, we're probably just about out of time. Um, but this has been great. Really appreciate you, uh, Matthew, being able to join us. Um, this has been a lot of fun. I think we'll definitely have to try and have you on again, because this is a great conversation. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I've had a, I've had a, very enjoyable time and uh, i appreciate both of you jeffrey and caleb thank you awesome thank, thank you, you so been much a pleasure. Uh, and for all of our listeners uh we'll catch you on the next episode bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more